Hey everyone, my name is Chelsea and welcome to the Shh Podcast, where we provide a platform for women to share stories that are normally not being shared. Our goal is to open up dialogue for women while helping them heal and empowering others to do the same. One voice can make a difference. Why shouldn't it be yours? Hello, everyone, and welcome to my first episode of the Shh Podcast. My name is Chelsea Messer, and I'm so excited to be sharing heartfelt heartache stories told by women who have been silenced. I really wanted to create a platform for women to share the things that are not being talked about. And I hope that together with these stories, women can begin to heal and empower the hearts that really need it most. So thank you so much for being here. This is going to be such a great time. Today, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my idea. And then I'm going to start you off with the first story, which is actually going to be mine. So I have recently realized that a lot of women have stories that are not being told. And it's either out of embarrassment or judgment, fear of being judged, um, or just society, you know, the society norms. And if you speak up about something, it's not going to be right. And I realized how detrimental that is to not only our mental health, but the world's mental health. So many things are just not okay to talk about, and I'm going to make them okay to talk about. So I'm going to start with mine. Um, This will be a shorter episode, but after this, I have a bunch of women lined up ready to talk to you about the things that they have not talked about yet, and I'm very honored that they have chosen this platform to do so. So let's change some lives, ladies. All right, so back in January 2020. Rob and I found out that we were pregnant with our second child. And while the news did come as a shock, we were very excited. And every day that went by, our excitement grew. And then we went to the doctor and um, our midwives in Danbury, Connecticut. Shout out to them. They are incredible. And they measured me and gave me an estimate of how far along I was. We were thinking between 13 weeks or so. They said it might be around 16 weeks. <laughs> so we weren't quite sure. So they wanted to send me for an ultrasound. So at the time, I actually had a business meeting that week. So I wasn't going to be able to get into my ultrasound until the following week. So I went on my business meeting Um super excited about the baby, telling everyone at my business meeting about the baby. Uh, at this point I was also showing too. So I was showing off my bump and I was rubbing my bump. That was at that point. Um, and when we got back, we went to the ultrasound. We thought everything was going to be fine. Um, we didn't consider anything to go wrong. And we sat down in that chair and that technician came in and, Spent about 30 minutes um, just looking around. She immediately told us it was a boy. And we were thrilled. Um, 
he wasn't moving around a lot in there. We thought he was super sleepy and not very active. They asked if I ate before I came. And uh, then she she told me to, you know, change sides, roll around. She said, I'll be right back. I want you to jump up and down for a bit, get active, get this little guy going so we can get better pictures. And then she walked out. At that moment, Rob and I truly celebrated the fact that we were having another boy. We loved being a parent to our first little guy. We think it's one of the best things to have a little boy in your life. And so we were really excited about this. Not to mention, we had all the clothes. We didn't have to go out and get a bunch of girl clothes. We had them all. So we were pretty pumped about that. So I was jumping around. I was doing jumping jacks for about 15 minutes. She came back in, had me lay down, and he still wasn't moving much. But uh, there wasn't, didn't seem much concern in the room. Um, certainly wasn't something I thought was wrong. I just thought he wasn't being very active. Um, and then she left again. And um, when she came back, she sat down and she looked at us and she said, you know, there's some things I'm seeing that's a little concerning and I, I want the doctor to talk to you. Um, and at that time, the doctor was actually in Russia. He wasn't there. So they wanted to put me on the phone with another doctor. And so she came in and uh, she set up the phone on speaker. And at this point, our hearts were already pretty broken just from hearing that there might be things wrong. So the doctor got on the phone and he said he was very sorry to meet us this way. And he proceeded to tell us that they saw many abnormalities on our child. He talked to us that um, they're seeing a face abnormally, they're seeing a spine abnormally, they're seeing a hand abnormally. And then he told us usually when there's more than one, it, it could mean a genetic issue. We immediately started to cry. Um, whether that was fear, um, whether it was sadness, whether it was the feeling of loss of already losing a perfect child, which is not something that's talked about. But when you're told something like that, you all of a sudden start to grieve a normal, healthy child. So we were told that um, the doctor in Russia would give us a call back, but they wanted to send me for a more in-depth ultrasound at the hospital. So on our way home, we got a call from the doctor in Russia, and um, he basically told us all the same things, just a little bit more in detail. And then he ended the conversation with this. He said to us, in these circumstances, and we also found out, by the way, that I was 20 weeks along, or 21 weeks along, I should say, and he said to us, in these circumstances, um, most people can choose to decide if they want to continue the pregnancy or end the pregnancy. And I went silent. 
Rob had to finish the conversation with the doctor. Um, as I just sat in the front seat of our car and I sobbed. After we hung up with the doctor, we just looked at each other and with so many tears in our eyes and we had no idea what to do. We had no idea who to talk to. So we had no idea how to tell our family, how to tell our friends. So we've already announced at this point that we were pregnant. And it was one of the hardest moments of our lives. We went home with so many questions. We wouldn't have the answers for a couple days. When we went home, we had to call up Yale, the hospital, and get ourselves in. Um, at this point, too, time was ticking down. We had not had genetic testing yet. We hadn't had any answers. But our time frame was getting smaller. So when we got home, we called up Yale. We made an appointment for the next day to go in. When we went in that next day, we sat in the waiting room and I just cried. It was one of those things where you can't get away from it because it is literally attached to you. It is inside of you. And you can't get away from that. Not to mention the motherly love I was already feeling. It was a very strange, strange thing. And everything made me think of what was going on, especially sitting in this waiting room. So I was in the waiting room. I saw people around me just waiting, didn't know their stories. And that made me sad. And I just started crying and Rob kept telling me, it's okay. We don't know any answers. Like, don't be upset right now. Like, let's, we can do this. It's going to be okay. Like, we've got each other. I kept saying how much I missed Finn and I wanted to go home and be see Finn and I didn't want to go in there. In fact, I told Matt so many times how I just wanted to leave and I didn't want to, didn't want to talk to anyone. Well, we went in and it was a very long appointment. It was about a couple hours. Um, first started with the ultra, ultrasound tech and they did an ultrasound. Taking pictures of things. I asked her many questions and she couldn't give me answers. Um, she wasn't allowed to, you know. And then after all that was done, um, it was a very long ultrasound, the doctor came in and she went through and did the ultrasound again. But as she was going through, she was telling us everything that she was seeing. So she looked at his spine and she told us, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with the spine. And I felt a little, I felt a little pressure come off my shoulders. Then um, she looked at his, his hands and she took out her hand and she put two of her fingers together. She said, your son has two of his fingers fused together by one bone. And I thought that's, that's difficult. How can he, how is he going to be able to do things? That's, that's tough, but you know. It's not terrible. I love him no matter what. And then she went to his other hand and um, 
hit the ultrasound, um, Doppler, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever that wand is. And she hit it against my belly to try to get him to move his other hand. And his hand was just uh, limp. It wouldn't move. So he wasn't having any mobility in, in one of his hands and his wrists. And she just bounced. Um, she just bounced that instrument on my belly. And I just watched on the screen as my son's hand flopped around. And then she went to his face and his brain and explained to me he had fluid building up in his brain and they couldn't tell me why or if it was leaving his brain. She showed me his eyes and she looked at me and pointed to the side of her face and said his eyes are on the side of his head and they are extremely protruding and she made a gesture with her hands that came out, out from her face. And she went down to his jaw and she said his jaw and his bottom mouth are deformed. And every time she said something new, I felt like someone was taking a stab at my heart. It was painful news after painful news after painful news. And then finally she went to his heart and she showed us that one side of his heart was three times larger than it's supposed to be. And that was because on, one, on the other side of the heart, the valves leaving the heart were too small so blood couldn't leave it as fast as it needed to, so it was pouring into the other side. And we were just devastated. It was very hard to hear. She let us know the same thing, that when multiple things are disformed, it was a genetic issue. At this point, she offered us genetic testing. And in order to get accurate genetic testing, they would have had to take a needle and penetrate it into my stomach, um, which very likely could have caused a miscarriage right then and there, or that night. At first, we thought that's where we were gonna go. We were gonna get the genetic testing and get the answers. This is where my story becomes very uncomfortable. This is where my story has been silenced. This is where society judges and people don't understand. We were given our options and then we were left alone. 30 years old, 23 weeks pregnant at this point. Just hearing all of that and we were left alone. I have never sobbed 
more into my husband's arms than I did that day. I had no idea what I was going to do. We had no idea. So they gave us some time to think what was going on was that it takes 14 days to get the genetic testing back. 14 days. At that point, I would have been over 24 weeks pregnant. And in the state of Connecticut, I would not have legally been able to receive a abortion, which is an extremely uncomfortable word. So we had to make a decision. We had to decide if we were going to go through with this. If we were going to get the genetic testing and wait and get all the names to what everything was and what's going on. Because at this point, they couldn't tell us anything without that test. They couldn't tell us the prognosis. They couldn't tell us his quality of life. They couldn't tell us anything. The only thing that doctor told me was she looked at us and she said, I cannot tell you if he will ever have friends let alone, I can't tell you if he'll ever be able to hug you. And that sat with me. She then told us that if he survives this pregnancy, he'll have to survive birth. And if he survives birth, he'll have to survive surgery. And if he survives one surgery, he'll have to survive another surgery and maybe another and possibly another and then he might not make it for a year. So we sat, we cried, we prayed, we thought, we did all the things we could possibly do. We ordered for the genetic testing. But then we decided not to. We decided it wasn't fair. We decided it wasn't right. We had to make the hardest decision that I knew, knew one. None of our friends, most of our friends would understand. So we decided to schedule a DNE, which is a dilation and evacuation. That night we went home and I cried all night long because at this point I could feel our little guy inside of me moving. And actually that night Rob felt him too. We decided to name him Abel and we told him how much we loved him. I didn't really sleep that night. And the next day we went to another doctor and everything was confirmed and we were told that if we did decide to, you know, stick with this pregnancy and that it would be full of doctor's visits and that's not a lifestyle that I live. Um, we are on the more holistic side and this would have been doctor visits, among doctor visits, among doctor visits and specialists in testing, constant testing, 
And that was scary. That sounded um, very traumatic. So at this other doctor's, um, we're the only ones in the waiting room. They called us in and sat us down to take all of our information. And the first thing I was asked was, what brings you in today? And I started crying. And I told him what was going on and why we were there. And I was met with a lot of grace. I was met with a lot of heart and support, which was very nice. That appointment was one of the hardest things, and this is uncomfortable, but you know what? That's what this is for, and I'm going to talk about it. I was there to have dilators put in to begin dilating my cervix. It was extremely uncomfortable. It was extremely painful. Um, they try to numb you. It doesn't get numb. I bled a lot. Um, one of them working on me was a student, which I found interesting. Thank God I had Rob next to me that whole time because it was just a very uncomfortable feeling, not just physically, but emotionally. Every step, every conversation, every paper I signed off on, every needle that they put in me just felt like another step towards losing my son that I was choosing. After all that happened, I began cramping instantly and I cramped all night long. And all I could think about was what if I'm wrong? What if my child could have a decent life? Was it my decision? And I knew it wasn't. I knew it could be my decision. But I made it. The next day we went in the hospital for my surgery and the nurses there were so incredible they were so loving they were so sweet they were so soft and gentle with me they knew what I was going through and they knew the state of my emotions and they just handled it with such grace it was really comforting for me I was extremely nervous and scared and sad and angry. It was a lot of things. But I went in, Rob holding my hand. They prepped me. And then I walked into that surgery room by myself. Just me and Abel and a nurse. And when we walked into that room, I was met with even more great nurses and surgeons 
and they laid me down and I was crying. And this one nurse was talking to me about my tattoos on my arm. <laughs> she was doing everything she could to help me. I had another one on the other side of me, just rubbing my arm as I fell asleep. When I woke up, I was feeling guilty. I was afraid I wasn't ever going to feel normal ever again. Not only that, but I instantly felt empty. A lot of people think that there are women who make these choices out of selfish reasons. And I'm telling you that it was not selfish, it was pure love. And when you wake up from something like that, when you no longer feel something you love inside of you, it is one of the saddest things you can feel. So I had a nurse walk by, you know, ask me how I was doing, if I was dizzy and all that, and I wasn't, I was doing okay. And then she asked if I wanted to see a deacon. And I said, okay. And the deacon came in and talked to me and asked me my religion. You know, I said I was Christian. And so she prayed over me. She prayed over Abel. She prayed over Rob. And she asked me if I had any questions or if I had anything I wanted to say, pray for. And I said, I just, I just want to be forgiven. And she said, oh, honey, God knew what you were going to do. God knew your plan. And that sat with me for a while. So after I recovered for a little bit, we went home. And I just had many days of emptiness. At this point, we started telling people that we lost Abel. And... I didn't give too many details besides that. A big part of our journey was that I couldn't find anyone to talk to. A big part of our journey was that we felt ashamed. So we hit it. There was a few really close friends and family who knew exactly what was going on. And they knew exactly the decisions that we were making. And they supported us. And they were by our sides. And it was so nice to have. And then there were a few people that they knew our, our choices. And they told us to choose life. And those people we hid it from. Until now. When you think people will not understand something so incredibly painful, 
it's just as painful to not be able to tell your truth. I looked for anyone to talk to and I couldn't find a single one. I had so many people offering to bring us food and I kept declining because I had this guilt inside of me. Why should I accept your food when I just did that? And that was my choice. It was a very dark point of my life and I couldn't even talk about it. Another week went by and I got a phone call. I was working at a coffee shop and it was the genetic testing results. Up until this point, I was terrified of this phone call. Terrified. I was so afraid that I was going to get a call and they were going to say he had something that he could have lived with. His life would have been semi-normal. I was so afraid to hear that. And if I did hear that, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know what, how I would have been. I don't know how it would have been now. But that wasn't the case. I was told that Abel had triploidy, which is three sets, full sets of chromosomes. He had over 60 chromosomes. And this genetic condition they usually don't make it past 17 weeks, so he made it further than the normal. After that, they usually don't make it to birth. Um, and even if they do, they usually don't survive birth. And even if they do that, they usually, at most, survive five months outside of the womb. And it's not a, it's not a good five months. Once I heard this, I felt relief, which is a strange thing to say out loud. And that may be selfish, I don't know. But I knew that Abel was able to be in a much better place earlier and having to go through so much more trauma. I was able to set him free early. I was able to release him. And I'm thankful for that choice. I found support groups on Triploidy after the fact. Um, they were extremely triggering. There was one lady in the group whose triplet baby was born and she was you know, fighting every day. I left the group before I could see where it went. It hasn't been an easy road, but I'm happy to have shared my story with you. And I hope that if anyone ever has to face anything like this, which I really hope is not the case, but if if you do, or if you're going through this, I hope you know that it's your choice and your choice alone. So after making these choices and going through life a few months later, 
I wanted to share also where I've come and what I've learned and where my mind's at now. I have random days where Abel pops into my mind, but I have learned a lot where compassion for women, um, especially those expecting. I have also learned that there is a lot of love that surrounds us. And I've also learned that some people won't understand, but that I am in control of my feelings and I am in control of how I decide to feel every day. I have certainly not have taken things for granted more so now than ever. I've also come to realize, which I think is a, a really big, big thing for us to understand, is that we aren't untouchable. And anything can affect us at any moment. And even then the most least expecting times, we can be struck by tragedy or be faced with decisions that are very unimaginable. But this gives me strength. It gives me courage. It has helped me look at my days differently. I look at my husband differently. I look at my son differently. And I look at myself differently. But we have all grown tremendously from this. So I can honestly say I went from one of the darkest moments of my life to stronger, more understanding, less judgmental. I truly think that we've been given gifts. When we wake up, we're given a gift. When we take our first breath, we're given a gift. When we're able to choose what we're doing, we're given a gift. When we're able to walk, we're given a gift. When we're able to hug or love or think or smile, we're given a gift. And that outlook on life is something that uh, we forget. And that's what this, this has brought me to. I hope that you feel healing in some way from this episode. I hope you feel empowered in some way from this episode. And I so appreciate you listening to my story that has been silenced, that has not been shared. Because this is just one story. There are many others. And if you feel like you have a story that you want to talk about, send me a message. Reach out to me. I would love to share your story. I would love to give you a voice. I would love to give you a platform in this safe space because women are powerful. And what one woman goes through, another woman goes through. And we need each other. So thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. This was my first episode. This was my heartfelt heartache story. 
And I hope you tune in to my next episode when we're going to share the story of another incredibly brave and strong woman. So guys, until next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. If you loved it, make sure to save, subscribe, and share. Also, head over to Instagram and go and follow sh.podcast. That's S-H-H dot podcast. We'll see you guys next week.